0: I'm Benadiaz, and welcome to the first episode of season two of the Moving Up Together podcast. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome. This podcast series was created by the national nonprofit organization Up Together to change the narrative about people who have experienced financial hardships. It's all about real people, real stories that prove what you've heard or may believe about quote unquote poor people is just not true. So today I want you guys to picture this with me. Um, a diverse group of women, each with their own unique lived experience, form a bond that transforms their lives, families, and communities. Now, you're probably thinking of a few people. You have some people in mind that you know. So today, I want to introduce you to two more. Hall and Romelia Webb's paths first crossed in Boston in 2017 when they joined up together. Since then, they've guided each other through the joys and heartbreaks of pregnancy, they keep each other in the loop about resources that each other think will help one another, you know, support each other emotionally. Necca and Romelia, thank you both for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having us.
2: Thank you for having us. Dag, it's been that long? Yeah, it's been that long. Two babies for you. So,
0: <laughs> Normally, we like to kick off the podcast with um, asking you ladies, you know, a fun fact about yourself, something that you would like for people to know about you. Uh, Romelia, what would that be?
2: I really don't like talking about myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> what is your favorite color? Uh my favorite color is pink. <laughs> um I am a mom and godmother to a lot of children. <laughs> And you can say that I'm also the fun auntie because all the kids are usually at my house every weekend. You're the house to
1: go to. <laughs> yep.
0: Okay. And Necka, what about you?
1: Fun fact. Um, I do like to cook, but I um, make the children do it now that they're old enough. <laughs> why Why bother when you don't have to? Yeah.
0: I'm not mad at it. Um. So both of you ladies are from Boston. Um, What's one thing about Boston and your community in Boston that you can tell us about that you love and what makes it a great place to raise a family in?
1: Accessibility. Having traveled and and not been able to go anywhere except for where I'm staying without access to a car or with people saying that they'll let you use their car. Mm -hmm. I love being able to leave my house and go to one, two, three, four grocery stores if need be, just walk to them or even to go in any which direction and go to um, take a bus or even walk to Mattapan Square and and take the low speed, high speed, no speed trolley. Um, I just love the ability to go anywhere I want to at any time of day.
2: Without needing a car. Exactly. I definitely agree because I do not like to wait for people. I like to get up and go. And when I set my mind to something, I'm going.
0: (laughs) I love it. I feel like more uh, cities in the U.S. should adopt more of a a better transit system Um, because I'm in one of those states where we if you don't have a car, sorry, (laughs) it's hard to get around. So, um, yeah, that's that's a huge problem. I love that. So today's episode, we are going to be talking about moms, momming, and everything that comes with that, including maternal health. And this is a subject I feel that is super important for women, whether you are a mom, you want to become a mom, or even if you choose not to have a family, um, there's someone around you that may need your support and you want to be able to help them, right? So um, Neka. This was interesting to me because I've never heard of this term. You work as a full-time spectrum doula. Did I pronounce that correctly?
1: Well, I was a full spectrum doula for 10 years, which means I served families from preconception health all the way through end of life, focusing primarily on the bereavement side of things. Okay. But I'm now a maternal health advocate. So um, I retired the doula cap and refer out I retired that cap in um, 2021. June 2021 was my last hospital birth. Oh, wow. Um, but we, we guide people through the reproductive health, reproductive justice space.
0: Okay, so now you're kind of guiding people to those resources.
1: Definitely. Um, realizing that people don't know what they don't know. The average person does not have a conversation with their children about their options. Mm-hmm. these open conversations about where the babies come from and hiding the truth behind that. The average adult, my eight year old knows more about her uterus than the average 30 year old woman. And yep. that is a problem, especially when people are still walking around thinking that they can get pregnant every day of the week of every month right. <laughs> of every year. And that's just not how our bodies work. Right. and, Parallel to that comes with preserving pregnancy and understanding the risks, especially with the um, Black maternal and Black infant mortality rates in the US, along with pretty much anyone who's non-white is on the chopping block when you look at the statistics surrounding maternal health. Um, People like me are able to go into that space and say, okay, this will keep you safe. This will put, there are no guarantees, but If you do X, Y, and Z, and learn this, that, and the other about your body, you will um, do better and learn how to advocate for yourself.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And there's there's a couple of talking points that I do want to mention here because they're pretty shocking. Um, So I'm just going to read them off uh, uh, right now. So one fact number one: approximately 700 women die in the U.S. each year as a result of pregnancy complications. Two, the U.S. is one of only 13 countries in the world where pregnancy-related deaths are on the rise. Uh, three, regardless of income or education levels, Black women in the U.S. are three times as likely to die from pregnancy-related complications. Indigenous women are more than twice as likely. Four, although the U.S. spends more on health care per capita than any other country Maternal health outcomes are deteriorating all over and racial disparities are as big and as wide as they were in the 1930s. Five, Hispanic women are the largest increase in maternal mortality rates, rising 54% from 2020 to 2021. Wow. That's just, you know, reading that as as a person who, for me, I will be starting a family, hopefully, God willing, soon enough. This is terrifying. And, um, you know, I, I, do feel like, like even with weddings, it's always like, oh, the big, uh, oh, it's all about the wedding. And then when you get pregnant, it's all flowers and sunshine. And the reality is that pregnancy is very hard on your body. Um, and absolutely NECA, we do not get the education that we need in order to keep ourselves safe, especially women of color. You will have gone through a tragedy yourself. Would you be able to walk us through, you know, what happened, what you learned from it, and then how you how you came back essentially from it?
1: Well, my third child was a healthy girl um, and she was still born at 39 weeks gestational age. She died in utero at 39 weeks when I went and I found out probably while I was waiting to be seen by my OB expecting to hear that um, she would be coming at any time because that's what I've heard for my prior two pregnancies and only to find out that she had perished. And then later to find out that she died because I had not been diagnosed with preeclampsia. Simply because I didn't present the normal way. Um, Anaya would be 13 this August, Um, she was stillborn on my 37th birthday. So she died the day before my 37th birthday and was born on my 37th birthday. And surprisingly enough, finding out that these things still happen in the United States, and that was 12 years and some change, almost 13 years ago, and worse is happening now. Yeah. Granted, the stillbirth rate is decreasing, because of um, targeted programs and policies that a group of us are working to put in place. Mm-hmm. But the, the mothers are dying. Had Anaya not died, I would not be here talking to you because I was sick. Had no idea I was sick. Did not find out until after everything died down. A couple of years had passed. Having to get an attorney involved and being open and finding out why.
0: Yeah.
1: I was not listened to. I complain from the second trimester on, something's not right about this pregnancy. One thing, and I know one person will understand what I'm about to say, you are the expert of your body. I don't care who has what degree, how many XYZ certifications they have. You are always the expert over your body. Evidence-based, well, where do they get the evidence? They get it from you. From all of these surveys and all of these um, focus groups that you participate in. So they have someone say it's in your head because that's what they told me for two trimesters. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's all in your head. She's perfectly healthy. Yes, she was perfectly healthy, but my child asphyxiated in utero. The safest place for her to be. Mm-hmm. A healthy baby girl and she passed away because of their negligence. But I was not in the place, in the mind space to sue or anything. I only got an attorney involved to get my medical records because upon seeing that I was correct, following the papal trail, um, I had to fight to get my medical records. Wait, so the,
0: the particular hospital wasn't releasing medical, even though they are, they are legally obliged
1: to, if you request them, they have to release your medical records to you. Wow. Well, that's not always true. There are always stumbling blocks. Oh, they're not ready. Oh, this, that, and the other. I had to hire an attorney, just and she worked pro bono. And what she ended up doing was going to the attorney general's office and getting something so that they would release my medical records to her, and she sent them to me. But you get medical records, and they're in in a foreign language. right? And you look at the medical records, and you have no idea what they're talking about. So what you do is you hire someone or find someone who's willing to interpret them for you. And that's how I found out that I had preeclampsia. The signs were there. It was not in my head because I, what they said was I was, since I was separated from my husband, I was overly stressed and all of the worries that I had about that baby girl um, were not valid. When in actuality, she was saying, mommy, I don't feel well. Yep. Mommy, I'm not okay mommy, please help me. And there was nothing I could do because I was a person who was diagnosed with um, major depression as a youngster, as a child. And that followed me throughout my lifetime. So that's not why I started doing this work. And people think, oh, well, you do this work, so you always have money. No, you are a bereaved parent who learned something and train and train and train until I'm still in school. I'm back now getting my bachelor's in public health because I need to be on the research side of things so that we can stop talking about the disparities and start acting on the disparities because I work with families every week that referred to me who are like me, who have lost their child, and most of them are black and brown people. So what brought me to this work was actually learning the statistics surrounding maternal health and seeing that these statistics date back to slavery. It's insane to me that
0: these disparities are just increasing. And as we it's like we're moving backwards and forwards at the same time. Right. So for a woman who might be feeling right now, something is not wrong. Right. And her doctor keeps telling her, hey, it's in your head. What, what would be the first um, action to take? Um, If if you're in that situation, if you feel like something is wrong, it's exhausting to have to go from doctor to doctor. But is, is
1: that something you would recommend? You move and you call and you scheduled with someone else. There are great doctors here in Boston. There are great doctors. I'm linked up with a lot of them across the U.S., actually in several countries. And you just keep going because for every no you get, there will be one yes. Mm-hmm. And they will actually do the research to see what's going on with you. Fair. So listen to your body. Listen to your baby. Mm-hmm.
2: Romelia. Um, with my previous pregnancy, I found out I had coleostasis. So I was a point above the normal. And I said, okay, what does this mean? I did all this research. Um I had a great doctor. Thank you. Thank God for that. But um, she was like, your numbers are fine. Everything's fine. Nothing's wrong with the baby. Nothing's wrong with you. If your numbers continue to go up, then we're going to schedule a C-section. We're going to figure out what needs to be done. Um, But right now you're fine. My daughter was supposed to be born March 31st. She came two weeks early, March 19th. I. This has nothing to do with the doctors or anything like that. I woke up in a pool of blood, freaked out, rushed to the hospital. My placenta had separated from my uterus. My baby girl was born with no issues perfectly fine. But if I had not gotten up to go to the bathroom that morning, I would have had to bury my baby girl.
1: Yeah. You survived yourself because a placental abruption is fatal in both instances. Yeah. But my team was really awesome.
2: And Neca, thanks to you, I found a great doula who helped me throughout the whole, my whole pregnancy. So If it wasn't for this woman, me and Miss Royalty would not be here. So we have a great
0: example of great medical care and having a support system. And then we have examples of just negligence, you know, and just not good care. Um, As parents, what would you say is one thing policymakers and lawmakers can do to help women in these situations and just kind of help our overall health system when it comes to um, you know becoming a mother pregnancies and maternity
1: there needs to be consequences for bias we go into these spaces and they look at xyz one two three reasons for mom or my doctor with my young, with the child that passed she took one look at my then husband and didn't like him and i was judged yeah I was judged pretty much my, I, you know, I finally saw it during the pregnancy and we split, but, but still, you know, she was there to get my baby there, my healthy child there safely. She was, she was healthy. I, I keep saying healthy because my child that was before her had open heart surgery when she was two, week of, two weeks of age. So I know both sides of the coin when it comes to, and that child is completely healthy now, And she just graduated from high school with a 4.48 GPA in spite of um, all of her medical complications and her brain damage and being neurodivergent. Whereas my healthy child, who was the one that came after her five years later, was the one who, she she suffered in utero all because they missed it. I cannot be measured by the same accord that Romelia's measured or by any other woman, they have to look at my body and look at how my body responds to certain things. But what they're taught in medical school is that this is the spectrum, and all women have to walk this line. See, back then, I had an abnormally low blood pressure. So when my blood pressure went up at all, that should have been XYZ warning sign. But what they did was they kept marking the urinalysis, which was Spilling trace amounts of protein, and then one plus, and then two plus, and then the day that I found out she was gone, I spilled three plus. Healthy kidneys don't spill protein, and proteinuria is a sign of preeclampsia. Okay. So I had those signs, but for two trimesters, I was marked. It was marked as an unclean catch. Now protocol. What we do is talk to our clients about is okay, you go to the bathroom at the hospital. That's the first thing you do at each appointment and just know that not every practice is the same. I've encountered people who have suffered losses and they would never ask for a urinalysis. Mm-hmm. So know that if you're with anyone and they're not at the very beginning of every appointment saying, okay, after you sign in, take this cup and give us a sample, you're supposed to follow up with them and say, um, what did my urinalysis say? Mm -hmm. And if it's marked as an unclean catch, okay, I need some Castile wipes and I need a clean, fresh cup. And I'm going to give you some more urine at the end of this appointment. And if it still comes back up as an unclean catch, you need to take my blood and we need to get to the bottom of this because healthy kidneys do not spill protein. Protein urea is something that can be treated. It's something that someone who has kidney disease has but it can also cause other issues. And people who have had any kind of hypertensive crisis, be it preeclampsia, eclampsia, eclampsia, or HELP syndrome, um, they can develop other complications later in life. Because I had preeclampsia, I now have an autoimmune disease. And that's another subject that's not talked about. And I don't like surprises. So my first surprise was losing my daughter. My second surprise was finding out the Black maternal and infant mortality rate. And my third surprise a couple of years later was to find out that I had this autoimmune disease, which is wreaking havoc on my body. All because they did not treat my blood pressure rising back then and marked me as an unclean catch because my blood pressure did not match what the normal rate Mm -hmm. was. So you have to know your own normal rate. You have to be proactive so that you don't have to be reactive if things should go wrong.
0: What are sources, More information for women because there's there's so much information that gets thrown at you so many terms, um, you know, especially if it's a new pregnancy. Um, you know, women, we're just like, we're doing what and what's ha- what 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 would you say is a good um, resource that women can go to that they can either look up call, or,
1: you know. Well, one site that I tell any woman who is between 26 and 28 weeks to go to is CountTheKicks.org count the kicks.org. If you count those kicks, you will have the data, all the data you need, because you just choose a time during the day, the same time every day, 26 weeks. If you're, um, if you're at 26 weeks and that's for high risk pregnancy. And if you're pregnant with multiples or 28 weeks for average routine pregnancy, what you do is you just um, choose the same time of day, every day to take a break. And there's an app and you sit with that app, you put your feet up, you bond with your baby and you press on the app every time you feel the baby kick. Only kicks because kicks, rolls or jabs, no hiccups because hiccups are involuntary. Oh my goodness. that Really? You can feel that too? Yes. (laughs) Yes. You can feel hiccups and hiccups just to let people know hiccups can be the sign of a healthy baby with a whole lot of hair. But it can also be the sign of fetal distress. So when you're going to the doctor, we can no longer afford to ask our clients, did you feel the baby move? Because anything in fluid moves. When they say, when I move, you move. If you move and your baby is sleeping or God forbid your baby is deceased, the baby will move because the baby's in fluid. Mm. And you want to test it, get yourself a carrot, put it in some water and let it sit there. Once it becomes buoyant and you tap that jar, you'll see the carrot moving around and touching the sides. And that'll simulate a baby's movement. So you always want to know, this is where my baby's normal kick pattern is. So that when things go wrong, you can grab that, that take your phone or your um, Apple watch or your computer or even print it out and take it to go run, kick screaming like the sky has fallen to your OBGYN a midwife and say, OK, you see, my baby was kicking this pattern X, Y and Z amount of days. And you notice the decrease over the last few days. Something's wrong. And what they'll do is they'll get you in for further tests.
0: OK. All right.
1: And switching gears just
0: slightly now from the pregnancy stage to the after. Um, once you have the baby, you have a healthy baby. Um, we all know there's been a lot of discussion now for, um, postpartum depression and what women's bodies go through after, uh, the fact after the baby is, you know, separated from your actual body. Um, which, you know, we we used to be told a lot that it was like, oh, it's just this. I mean, what in the 1920s, it was hysteria or (laughs) any other ridiculous assumption of, of why our bodies or our emotional state was how it was now you two ladies uh, met in 2017 and um romelia uh you were pregnant correct when you joined the up together group was i
1: <laughs> <laughs> but wait a minute you didn't know it you didn't know it you didn't find out i remember vividly the day we found out and I was like, are you for I him? was
2: five and a half months pregnant mm-hmm. when we found With out I was pregnant. Yes, What? It's <laughs> so crazy. And you know what's funny? With all my children, I have found out I was pregnant when I was five and a half months, six months pregnant. <laughs> well, you were in like, complete shock at that point. We're just like, <laughs> what? At this point, I listen, I don't know if it's my body or what, but. For some reason, my body doesn't show signs of pregnancy till I'm five, five and a half months.
0: That's crazy. And here's another example of like our bodies, none of them work the same. They just don't. It's, it's, it's case by case basis. Um, but so how was that experience being able to join a group with Up Together and having like different moms around you? Was was that did it make that your experience, your pregnancy experience and then after easier, better, um, happier? How was that for you?
2: My pregnancy with my first child was different from my pregnancy with my son. Um, with my first child, I dealt with a lot of stress, a lot of aggravation, uh, everybody wanted to poke the bear. Um, with my son, I felt the love, I felt the care. I was told to sit down and relax. <laughs> I was told it would get done when it would get done. I had this beautiful group of women that came to my house and loved on me and just gave me and my children the love and affection that we desperately needed.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I can honestly say, oh, I'm about to cry now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I can honestly say that um if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be the parent I am now. Mm-hmm. You guys were awesome, and you are still awesome to this day. And I'm crying. I'm sorry. All right. You guys <laughs> got a whole crying thing. <laughs> I was about here. to
0: say, <laughs> apologize. We've had tears on this show before. Trust me. Don't apologize. Because <laughs> it's important. It's, you know, we. I feel like as a society, we've gotten away from having that, Um tribe and that village kind of vibe you know what i mean now it's it's everyone can do it on their own or everybody has you know we're women we're strong we can do it on our own and then that's just not that's just not the case i mean people will misinterpret where it says you need a village to help raise a child um but for the most part if you really think about it you know you do need that girlfriend that just comes over and, you know, say the kids are out with um, their grandparents or something, your girlfriend just comes over with a bottle of wine or, you know, or someone that can come and help you do some chores um, while you just take a shower, especially in those um, those first couple of months where the baby's, you know, the baby's born. Sometimes you just it's as simple as that. Why do you think we as a community is have gotten away from that? And, and what can we do? Um, Neka, I know that you, you're creating spaces for women to be able to come together in Boston and, and find these resources and find these other women. How can we go back to that? What can we do to um, say it loud and, and clear, you know, not just on this podcast, but <laughs> that women know that there are resources for them and resources don't necessarily mean just medical attention, but emotional support.
1: The statistics show the need because our bodies are not like rubber bands. We cannot go from a a watermelon size back down to a large orange or a small grapefruit size um, in the span of a day. It does take 40 days. We need to go back to the laying in period, and I'm a strong advocate for that, but we also need to understand that the postpartum period is not for the baby. I was about to say, real quick, what is the laying in period? What is that? Oh, my goodness. Yes. It's called the quarantina in Spanish areas. It's called, oh my God, I can't pronounce it in, in Chinese or Indonesian, but every culture other than that one here, in, other than the US. In Africa, it's called something else. But there is a period of time where the women, wise women, the elders come and they treat the woman. They, the, all the woman is supposed to do is relax head covered, feet covered because air escapes, heat escapes through the head, heat escapes through the feet, um, and they're supposed to rest. They're supposed to be loved on, rubbed on, eat nourishing foods that promote um, milk production. And the only time that they see their babies is when they're supposed to feed them, breastfeed them. Um, And that's in other countries. Here, it may may last two, generations if we're lucky, once people come here from those countries. Um, And then you're expected to have the baby on Monday, go home from the hospital if you have a vaginal delivery on Wednesday and back at work on Friday. And then we wonder why our, our families are falling apart due to perinatal mental health and anxiety disorders. Um, you know, there's an organization called Postpartum Support International that has support, support groups for everyone under the sun that's working really hard. And um, there's another organization. Oh, my God. It used to be 2020 Moms, but they've changed um, changed the name of their organization. I think it's Maternal Policy, Maternal Health Policy, something other. I forgot the name of it, but it used to be 2020 Mom that's mm-hmm. focusing on putting legislation together so that they can, um, we can get these processes back. For example, I always compare the postpartum time to war. Let's think about a person. When we go to war and we capture an enemy combatant, we, we put them in rooms and try to keep them awake and we use noise to disorient them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Babies come into the world they're, they're not used to the sounds outside of the, the birthing person's womb. And of course, they're going to be disoriented and they're going to be upset. And then you're, you have to stay up trying to figure out what's going on with that child because there's a bonding period that has to happen. Mm-hmm. So knowing that, how can we expect mom, birthing person, whatever they want to be called to have a baby on Monday and by Friday, they're back to normal. There is no such thing. Mm -hmm. The new normal you once you have one child and my children are 22 going on 23, 17 going on 18 and eight going on nine. Okay, there is no way. I mean, with the first and the last pregnancy, I had all the support in the world. I my mom flew up for the first one, first grandchild. She flew in from Florida and stayed for a month. I begged her not to do it again, but I didn't mean it. I did not mean it. Yeah, I did not mean it. That was needed because we had four generations under one roof with my son. And all I had to do was, was they bring him to me and I'd feed him. And we're not from anywhere except from North Carolina, generations from North Carolina. But that was the way that my grandmother did things. And that happened with my first and my last. But when things went wrong with my middle two pregnancies, mm-hmm. where my... The second child came here needed, with a congenital heart defect and was in the hospital. And then the, the one after her was stillborn. No one wanted to come around and you're not recognized as being postpartum when, when the baby is not physically with you. There, yeah. So understanding that the postpartum period is not for the baby, the baby will be fine. Everybody wants the baby. The mm-hmm. postpartum period is for your recovery. It is for that person who has given birth to get their bodies to the point where they can, they they need to get plenty of rest. Mm -hmm. They need warming foods. You're not supposed to eat or drink anything cold, no matter how hot you are. And all of my pregnancies were summer pregnancies. All of my children, with the exception of my youngest, were born in August. I find I was so happy to make it to September. (laughs) But understanding the needs of of the uterus, Will shape how your future um, menstrual cycles look, how your uterus contracts and heals, how much blood you'll lose, whether you will um, develop. And and I know a lot of people who will hear this will be like, "Wait, what? That's that's real." You need to see a pelvic floor specialist if you've ever given birth, and that will keep you from joining that 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 club where you sneeze and pee a little bit. Oh Mm -hmm. Yes. That is not a right passage. (laughs) I was talking to a pelvic floor therapist one day and I'm working on it now trying to figure out who to talk to so that we can have um, physical therapy, pelvic floor therapy, and occupational therapy added to the maternal health bundle because Mm -hmm. lactation support and postpartum care, which is not for the baby, by the way, in the hospital setting, that's only for that it's supposed to be for the birthing person, but it's actually for the baby in the hospital setting. Mm -hmm. Um, By adding those onto it, we will see fewer incidents of um, deep vein thrombosis, postpartum preeclampsia, postpartum eclampsia. We'll see less cases of PMAS, perinatal mental health, mental and anxiety disorders. Um, By just adding those three physical therapists, um, pelvic floor therapists and occupational therapists to the MIST. Because you have a bed in the hospital that you can press and it'll go up, it'll sit you up, it'll lay you back down. But when you go home, you're in a flat bed. Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of people are having issues, maneuvering from that flat surface onto the floor. All right. And then they twist and turn in ways that the bodies are not meant to contort, just so that they will, if they, if they tore a little bit and have stitches to prevent those stitches, if they got, um, had a C-section and got stitched up, or even if they're butt hurts a little bit from pushing out a nine, 10, 12, 12 pound baby. So there are so many things to take into consideration of um, when you're looking at the postpartum body. And we need to start, once again, being proactive so we don't have to be reactive. And anyone who has, who has, who is among that club, that depends club or that poise club where they sneeze and they tinkle a little bit, know that you can go to a pelvic floor specialist and get tuned up. Two visits should straighten you right out. Stop it. So it, oh, it yeah. literally is
0: just knowing it's because this, and this can happen at any age. This it is really just in can general, you know, once you have a baby, it, and right. not to say it, it's a trauma, but essentially it is a it trauma, is a trauma. In your body. Yeah. Um, that you have to recover from. Um, but really just, like two th- couple of visits and and you're you're better than you were before. Oh, wait
1: a minute. Out of those two visits, only one is in person. You can do the second one virtually. The one of the number one reasons that elders are falling and breaking their bones and is because they're running to get to the bathroom so they won't pee on themselves. Wow, to
0: think that there is a solution for that, but we just were not being told. Like that's insane. No, like, and it's not insurance. covered
1: by insurance. This can't. Of course not. That's that's a whole other conversation. It's not expensive. (laughs) It's not expensive. And you can find someone who will work with you. Oh, my. There are ways to get a prescription from the doctor. You just have to know how to talk to your doctors.
0: You heard it here. You can get help. And it's not it's not going to break your wallet. Do it. Do it. That's that's crazy. I've never I I just knew that this was a thing that happened. I did not know that there was an actual solution for it. So see, it doesn't
1: just happen. All right. It's not a rite of passage. I will not be one of those women. I'll be 50 in August. I will not be one of those women sneezing and peeing on herself. It's <laughs> not gonna happen. I'm putting poise and the pens out of business. I'm telling you right now. So go get tuned up. And if you don't know where to go, reach out. Okay, you heard that here.
0: Shifting the conversation a little bit into childcare. There are a couple of facts that I want to read off um, to you ladies here, um, which again, also very, very crazy. Uh, Fact number one: Massachusetts is one of the highest-paying states um, in the country for childcare. So, in Suffolk County, if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly, ladies, go ahead and uh, correct me. But Suffolk County, where Ramilia lives, the average cost for infant care is twenty-three thousand dollars. Fact number two. That's about right. (laughs) Woo! Fact number two: The United States has no nationwide paid paternal leave policy. Um, and provides limited access to subsidized childcare. Uh, fact number three: On average, the U.S. childcare prices range from five grand to seventeen grand for infant center-based care in large um, counties. Okay, so that's a lot of numbers getting thrown out here, and and a lot of numbers that honestly give me the the shivers because I'm like, there's I don't you know I don't make that much <laughs> to even be able to cover that and rent or mortgage period. Um Ramira, if you even
2: If you ahead. even want to have pay for childcare outright, you literally need to have a good three to four jobs. Yeah. And be able to live in Massachusetts. Yeah. And I, I, that's really a shame. Um, but that's why a lot of women stay home and take care of their kids until they're of a certain age where they can go to regular school Um, and I give it up to countdown in kindergarten and all these other play groups that are giving the families that can't afford childcare, the materials to be able to educate their young, the younger children Mm -hmm. before they even enter into Metco Boston public schools, Uh, private school settings, et cetera. Um, But for my kids, my oldest, I kept her home until she was two and a half, three years old, before I even put her in a daycare um, setting.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, And that was 14 years ago. Uh, My son, my five-year-old, he was in daycare Um, at the age of six to eight months. And that was only because I was a parent leader at the school. Um, so I volunteered, I got a, a a little stipend to be at the school. Um, and because I worked there, Mm -hmm. they gave him a spot.
0: That doesn't work the same for
2: other mothers. Um, no, it doesn't. Wow. Um, but when COVID hit, he actually stayed home with me. I had to be mom and teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, and right now I am, I just gave birth three months ago. Um, I'm still on. Thank you. Um, I'm still on leave. Uh, I'm still on leave. I'm supposed to go back to work with BPS countdown to kindergarten, August 1st. Okay. Um, but if it was up to me, I would stay home with my kids until they're at least two and a half, three years old. So that I know that they're getting what they need to survive in this educational world. Um,
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? You brought up a great point where uh, pre-kinder care or daycare essentially is it's, it's not just that the kids need to be taken care of and watched while the parents go to work, but it's also an incredible tool for them learning how to learn then in school at, even when they get into kindergarten. Um, You know, and a lot of people don't realize that that pre-education sets up that child for success. um, Especially if you find a good program. I mean, um, there are certain uh, pre -pre pre-kindergarten programs that you're on a wait list for almost a year like, basically, when you get pregnant, start looking for child care, because that's how long some of these lists can be. Um, Literally. So, so, yeah, I'm glad that you brought that yeah. up. Please.
2: The child care wait list for Boston is almost two and a half years long. Oh right God. now. So if you found out you was pregnant. Two years ago, as soon as you found out, you should have put your child on that list. Because your child will not get a voucher call or uh, let's go look at this child care center and let until they reach number five or ten on that list. And by then they're probably already in a UPK program, which is half a day. Universal um, pre-kindergarten or... um, If you're lucky, you're a parent that can take your child to all the playgroups around Massachusetts and they're learning that way. Or you're like NECA and you homeschool your kid. For a parent like me who works limited hours, unless I was going to school and working, I still don't qualify for a voucher for my children.
0: Because you don't work enough of the
2: hours? You have to work 25 to 30 hours per week or go to school 25 to 30 hours per week just to get a voucher.
0: Which is honestly just not even realistic.
2: Especially when you have children who get out of school at a certain age, at a certain time, and you have to be there to pick them up.
0: There goes that line, guys. (laughs) Get in that
2: pickup line. Yep. That's crazy. Or you have... Yep. Like, I literally just allowed my 13-year-old to take the bus to and from school. I just allowed her to take the bus (laughs) to and from school. Do you understand the amount of me waking up at 5 a.m. to drop off... Her at one school, drop off a five-year-old at another school, and then get to my destination by a certain time. Mm -hmm. I'm literally, let's say I have to be at work by 10 o'clock. That means I'm only working probably three to four hours that day before I have to get on the bus to go back to the first school to pick up that child. And then hopefully I get to the other school on time to get the other child. Because a five-year-old can't walk themselves home. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, facts. We need a better system, period. Something has to give.
2: Yeah, something has to give. But will it happen? That is the question.
0: You got to keep pushing for it. And lean on each other. Because definitely when because when policymakers won't move their behinds, we have to. And when they say that we are mobilizing our behinds to help each other out out of I mean, out of sheer necessity and goodwill, of course, and grace, but sheer necessity, then they all of a sudden start making um, moves. So that is a sucky way of getting things done or trying to at least push something in the right direction, but we do what we have to do. And as families, moms, dads, um, because it's not just the moms here, it's also the dads that are more than welcome to join in the conversation, learn about their wives' health, their sisters, their their own mother's health, um, because the more that they also back us up, again, the more support and movement we'll have on the political arena. Ladies, thank you so much for your information. And your time for just sitting here and talking to us, we do like to end the um, the show every time with um, a segment called Free Game. So basically, this is your turn to school somebody or let your community organizers or lawmakers know something that's on your mind and your heart. <laughs> so, um, so go ahead. What 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 kind of free game? What kind of advice would you give um, to someone?
1: We now have a community, um, I don't know what it's called, it's like a a community association. And I don't know when that started, but I've lived in this house since 74, 75. Um, And one of the, the president of the association has been going street by street. Um, Each street has their own president. And the one, I don't even know how this woman became our president, but She has decided that she wants the street to look a certain way. And we have um, people coming out and ticketing houses. Um, I got a $15 ticket yesterday because I have weeds, which are not weeds, they're actually herbs out in my front yard. Um, A neighbor has two cars in her, an, an 80 something year old neighbor, has two cars in her driveway. Her husband used to drive one of the cars and he passed away last year and she received two $15 tickets. The neighbor right next door to me received two $200 tickets um, because his yard, X, Y, and Z. So I've been reaching out to city councilors and first I went to our community president, our street president and tried to reason with her. And she started talking about property value and she's 73 another neighbor, 75 um, and they are calling our legislators daily to complain about various neighbors' yards. If you cannot provide resources, and all of these people are on fixed incomes, single family homes, um, no one helps us manage the upkeep for our home. We do that ourselves. And my aunt has three, three plates in her neck. So if I were not here and my children were not here she would have to hire someone to do the yard. And my reality is August 11th, I'm having a right hip replacement. So I won't be able to do my yard. So we need to change this. We need to provide resources instead of tickets to the elders, know the community members and, and actually talk this out because when I saw my 80-year-old neighbor crying yesterday on her front steps because of this ticket, I these two tickets, it pissed me off.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It really did. And we need to enrich p- others' lives versus looking and saying, my property value,
0: mm-hmm. my
1: property value. It's more, you know, relationships are more than property value. Don't complain about it. Be about it. That's right. Okay. Exactly.
2: mm mm-hmm. um, I would say that the landlords... Need to be more responsible with the upkeep of the homes that they rent to people. Mm-hmm. I've lived at my address for two years, August, and um, I'm the type of person. I I grew up in a, a household where we had a small yard, but my dad always kept it nice and neat. Um, so it drives me really crazy when people throw trash um, outside and they just leave it there for animals to break open the bags or there's not enough trash cans to uh, put the trash in. Um, If these landlords could just be a little bit more thoughtful and take care of their homes that they have these um, people rent, I understand you don't live there, but we do. And we have children that live there.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And we want the same beautiful home as you do wherever you live. So just be mindful of that.
0: Yeah. There you go. Take responsibility. One for yourself and then also agreed. Um, People sometimes don't keep in mind that it's actual families. They rent to people, but then completely forget that they're actual families. And absolutely no kid has to. Should be dealing with that. No parent that's dealing with raising children should be dealing with that. Absolutely, hundred percent. NECA Hall, Ramelia Webb, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate the conversation today, ladies. I appreciate your insights. Um, you know your stories that you have to share. Um, you know, and just thank you.
1: No problem. Thank you for having us. Moving Up Together was created by the national nonprofit Up Together and produced by Creative Differences. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.